my chosen ones to use in their curses. The sovereign Lord will put you to death, but to his servants he will give another name. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the one true God. Whoever takes an oath in the land will swear by the one true God. For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I wonder what are you looking forward to? I wonder what you said then. Um, let me tell you one thing I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to when my um, son, Jacob, who's two years old, can uh, finally use the toilet. We're trying to toilet train at the moment. It's not too successful at the moment, um, but I'm looking forward to a day where we don't have to change those nappies anymore. That's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, there's a few things I'm looking forward to, I've got to say. I'm, I'm looking forward to church camp coming up. Um, I don't know if you guys know, so um, it's our biggest church camp ever. So we've, I think we've got 140 people coming or something like that. It's, it's really exciting. So I'm really looking forward to that, getting away for a weekend around God's Word together as a community. Um, obviously looking forward to our little baby coming in December. So much to look forward to. Our hopes for the future shape how we live today don't they? The things that we look forward to, um, they, they, they change how you live right now today. Uh, you need to prepare for the things that are coming. And today, I want you to uh, lift your eyes to really look forward, to look forward not just to the things that are coming up maybe in the next uh, few months or next year or whatnot, but to look forward to the far future. And I want you to ask a question, because I think this is the question that's posed for us today from Isaiah are you ready for eternity? Are you ready for eternity? Friends, we're finishing the book of Isaiah today. It's been a massive journey, a huge journey. It's been such an amazing book. Uh, the final section of Isaiah, just to let you know, this is where we've come. Um, as we've gone through the first half of Isaiah, it really concerns the Assyrian crisis, Israel, um, under the Assyrian invasion. Uh, it mo moves on in the second half of the book to concern the Babylonian crisis, a new nation that comes in. Uh, they conquer Jerusalem. They take the people into exile. Um, and actually, there's a small section 
uh, at the end, chapters 56 to 66, which particularly concerns the people of God, uh, Israel, as they return from exile back to their homeland. All of this is a vision that Isaiah gets about what will happen in the future. Uh, We can look back on it with uh, the hindsight of history now that these things actually did happen. Uh, But it's concerning the people returning back home to the homeland. It seems that salvation has come in these chapters, hasn't it? If they've been exiled, now they get to come back home to the promised land. But it becomes very clear in these chapters that it's not the salvation that they had hoped for. Their numbers and resources are limited. The cities, isn't, the cities in ruins. The leaders are not good leaders. There's a sense for the nation of Israel that there's got to be more than this. Surely this isn't the salvation that we've been longing for and hoping for throughout history. The chapter just before the section that we are going to look at today sums this up in a cry for help from Israel. Isaiah 64, verse 1, they say this, is the nation cries out, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. They're crying out to God. And verse 12, After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Israel's crying out. They're back in the promised land. This is where they should be, right? But they're crying out. They're implying something, that God doesn't care. Maybe that he's being unfair. Why why are things just not good? Have you forgotten us, God? But This cannot be further from the truth. And we see this clearly in, as we start chapter 65. So keep your Bibles open. Um, The passages will be coming up on the screen too. Chapter 65. And this is the first point, the root of all sin. Isaiah 65, verse 1. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here I am. Here I am. All day long I've held out my my hands to an obstinate, which means rebellious, stubborn people. Israel, don't blame God. Don't blame God. Look at what does it say here. He's always been there, graciously revealing himself to his people when they didn't want it. Look at God. This is a God that doesn't give up on his people. He's always been there saying, here I am. Here I am. All day long he's been holding out his hands. If I was God, I would have given up long ago but he doesn't. Look at his people. Look at the people that, you know, he's dealing with here. This is what they do. They, who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations, a people who continually provoke me to my very face. This is unashamed rebellion. They're not even hiding. They're doing it to God's face. The following verses describe a picture of pagan worship, Israel following other religions, other gods, explicitly doing the opposite of what God's demanded of them. What a slap in the face to God. It's like, it's like a husband or a wife leaving their marriage and then flaunting their new partner in front of their ex. This blatant, disgraceful dishonoring of God. This is what's happening here. And because of God, Israel's disgraceful sin... Punishment is coming. Punishment's coming. Have a look at verse 12 with me. We're jumping ahead to verse 12. God declares this. I will destine you for the sword, and all of you will fall in the slaughter. Why? For I called, but you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. You did evil in my sight and chose what displeases me. 
Friends, the list of sins is inexhaustible. Idol worship, violence, injustice, impure pagan festivals, you name it, they did it. This was, this was the nation of Israel back then. Um, but I want to point out that God actually chooses one root sin that sums it all. Did you notice in the passage? Why is God's judgment coming? Why is it coming? For I called and you did not answer. I spoke, but you did not listen. Friends, the root of all sin is the rejection of God's word. Can you see that? All other sins flow from this. The fact that God, he gives us his good word to tell us what is good and right in this world. And then we reject it. Everything else comes from that. When you, because uh, when you think about it, when you reject God's word, you're rejecting him. Of course, this is going to be where sin flows from. This was the root of sin in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed. This was the root of sin for Israel back in Isaiah's day as they rejected God's word as he kept holding it out to them. And friends, this is where sin comes from today as well, isn't it? Right here for us right now. How you treat the word of God really matters. Your response will determine your future. Your response to God's word will determine your future. For Israel, they chose to reject God's word. And God is angry. He's angry because when they chose that, they chose to ignore him, to disobey him, to listen to others instead of him. They were choosing to reject God as God and judgment is coming because of that. You might be thinking, as we get to this point, that this sounds all too familiar. I've heard this somewhere before, you might be thinking, because when we open Isaiah 1, many, many weeks ago, when we open Isaiah 1, the very first chapter, what was the issue? Well, it was Israel's appalling sin. And as we finish the book right here today, what's the issue? It's Israel's appalling sin. The course of history, 66 chapters all throughout this book, God has been calling his people to repent, turn away from sin, turn away, come back to me. The call has been going on for decades and decades throughout the rule of the Assyrian and Babylonian and Persian empires. It's been going on, but the issue is still the same. Sin. Rebellion. Disobedience. And it almost, as we reach this point, it almost seems to us that there is no hope for things to improve as long as Israel is living in this world. It's the same cycle of futile sin and pain. Sin's just going to win. And perhaps that's something you feel as well today. Personally, that sin just keeps winning. There's no hope. What can I do? Or as you look out in this broken, you turn on the news and you just look out at this broken world, you think, there's no hope. This world isn't getting better, it's getting worse. Sin's just winning. Sin's going to win. This, this world is, is broken. Which is why this next point really matters. A new world awaits. As we go on in this passage, God promises to his people something big, something amazing. That he will bring in a new creation far beyond anything that they can ever imagine. What makes it so good, what makes this new creation so good, is that sin will be gone. There will be no more sin. No more sin. Oh, look at this, verse 17. See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. A new creation. 
The sin, the pain, the suffering, all the former things, the things in the past, they're all gone. This is something so radically different that the remnant of the old days, you won't even remember them. This is renewal on a grand scale. Verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I'll rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. There's also a new city, Jerusalem, the capital city of God's people, Israel. Perhaps as the return, ex- the return exiles back in this ruined land, when they read this passage, they're rejoicing. They're rejoicing at the news that the glory that they had before would come again to their city. Like the days of King Solomon back in the Old Testament, further back, where Jerusalem was the center of prosperity. Other nations used to come to Jerusalem. But this is talking about much more than a glorified earthly city. This is on a whole new level. This city is full of rejoicing that lasts, how long, did you see? Forever. Rejoicing that lasts forever. And where's this rejoicing coming from? Well, it's God's people, but ultimately it's God himself will rejoice at them. That is not the story that we've been seeing so far. But in this new creation, God will rejoice. You know why he'll rejoice? Because there's no more sin. There's no more rebellion. There's no more disobedience. Let's continue on, verse 19. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard of no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. This is a picture of a whole new order of things. Look at what it says there. Look what it says. This is nothing like we have ever imagined or have experienced or can experience here. This is a perfected new creation. It's not just about a small city in Palestine restored. This is a a complete transformation of how things work in the world. It's the renewal of our entire creation. Imagine, imagine this. No more crying. No more weeping. Do you know why? Because there'll be no more pain. Can you imagine how good that will be? I don't think we can. Because we can't experience that in this world. It's hard to think about that because there's nothing that comes even close. There can no more weeping, no more crying, no more pain. That can only be possible when sin is gone, when sin is done away with. When it's far away, no more sin in this world. Friends, let me remind you why. We struggle through depression and anxiety here in this world. Why we fight with the ones that are supposed to love us. Why we have to say goodbye as we attend another funeral of a friend or family member. All of this is a consequence of sin in this world. It flows out of the rejection of God. The one where the one in whom all good things come from, life itself flows from. What do we expect when we rejected him? This is his just judgment on this world. But this pain, this brokenness, this suffering, it will not be present in God's new world order. It will not be there. No more sin, no more pain. Even the undefeatable enemy, death, will be defeated. This will be an incredible new order. I just want to 
point out something here in these verses. Uh, some of you might have noticed this. Just to know, it talks about death here. It does talk about death here, but um, in this verse, the one who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child. Um, but it's a metaphor from human experience to help us feel this passage. I'm not saying that death will be there, because just before, it says it won't. The one who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child. Think about this. If someone is 100 years old and dies in this world, what do we think? We think, man, that's amazing. They've, they've had a really good run. You even get a letter from the queen, you know? How amazing is that? And even more so in Isaiah's, uh, Isaiah's day, can you imagine someone living to 100 in a, Isaiah's day when there was just war raging all around them? It would be an incredible miracle. But in the new creation, if someone was 100 and if they died, we would be thinking, this is too young. They are so young. We are talking about eternity here. Eternity. An eternity where sin doesn't win, where death doesn't reign. This is a whole new order, friends. There's a new society here as well. Verse 21. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. A new society is here, friends. Here's a picture of prosperity, of security, of enjoyment. Houses that no one will take away. Crops that no one will ever steal. Once again, we see the signs of sin being rolled back, the effects of sin being reversed, the curse that God gave in Genesis 3. Can you remember that curse, that the toil of our hands, that would be hard, the ground would be thorny, it work and late would be laborsome and bur- burden, a burden to us. But the new creation, what does it say? My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. The effects of sin being rolled back. Verse 23, let's keep going. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. There's a picture here of oneness with God, of intimacy, a God who cares and loves for his people and knows them so well that he anticipates their needs before they even speak them on their lips. What a privilege that we could have a relationship with the God of the universe in such a close way. With sin in the way, impossible. No way we can approach a holy God like that, but with sin done away with, this is our future. This is our hope. Verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain says the Lord. Here's a fun fact. Wolves and lambs don't get along with each other. They are enemies. It doesn't go well if you put them in a room together. Lions hunt and kill other animals. They don't eat straw. But there's a new order coming where things are completely reversed, where there is no more conflicts, no more enmity, hostility, There's a picture of peace and harmony on a whole new scale. Everything will be different, except for one thing. Did you notice in this passage? And dust will be the serpent's food. The great enemy of God, the serpent, Satan, he was cursed 
back in Genesis, back in uh, that creation account, because of his sin in deceiving Adam and Eve. And that curse was, it still stands. That he will crawl on his belly, he will eat dust all of his life. This affirms something for us here, that even in the new creation where everything is radically transformed, one thing will stay the same. One thing will be sure, that sin will be defeated. Satan will not win. The enemy will not reign. God is the winner. What God promises to bring is a glorious new creation. And what makes it so good is that sin will be done away with. We just had a whirlwind tour of the new creation. All these huge concepts, things that we can't even hold in our head. What I want you to just realize is that it's far better than we can ever, ever, ever comprehend. It's a glorious new creation. My question to you today is this. Do you long for the new creation? Do you long for this? I think Israel, when they heard this, they would have longed for it. You know why? Because they were struggling. They were suffering. They, they returned to their homeland. homeland. It was in ruins. They were still, uh, they had enemies on all sides. They were still, even as they returned, under the rule of a foreign empire. The nation was a shell of their former glory. They were weeping daily. They were crying out for help. But for many of us, let's be honest, that's not our experience. We don't long for the new creation, do we? Because things are pretty good here. We don't long for the new creation because we think all these blessings that are promised to us, well, we've already got all the blessings we need right here today as we look around our lives and they're going pretty well. Let me tell you, I'm guilty of this. It's not as if I wake up every day and I just go, oh God, just, you know, can't just bring heaven today, let's go, you know. I'm enjoying my family, you know. I enjoy what I do here in ministry at this church. I enjoy the friendships. There's so many good things in this world. Things are pretty good. Do we long for the new creation? Friends, let me tell you something. There are times that I have longed, that I have really longed for this. And as I read Verse 20 in this chapter, it really hit me. God hit me with a memory. Uh, Verse 20, it says, Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Now, there is no clearer picture of the tragedy of sin when an infant dies, when a baby dies. Um, A few years ago, um, I went to hospital to visit a friend who just had a baby, Um, but it wasn't a celebration, because as I went there, what I did was I just held the body of my goddaughter, um, her lifeless body. She, she was born alive, but lived only a few hours. Now, some people say that death is natural, but let me tell you, at that point, there's nothing natural about that. At that point, every fiber of my being was screaming out, this isn't right. This isn't the way things should be. 
these moments remind us that this world is not as it should be, that this world is completely and utterly broken. These moments help us to cry out, God, please fix this. And here's the comfort. He will. He will deal with this. You see that promise there? Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days. Because in this new creation, there'll be no more weeping and no more crying and no more pain and no more death. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is from Revelation 21, Revelation 21, which is actually an echo of Isaiah 65. Read this. This is talking about God here. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I think it's hard for us to comprehend this. The fact that you will never, ever, ever, ever again feel sadness or pain. Can you imagine that? Never again will you feel those feelings, ever. There's something waiting in the future which is so much bigger than anything we can comprehend. Real joy, real peace, that never ends, that never disappoints, that is eternal. Do you long for this? Do you long for this? Now, some of you, you know, I said before, many of us have good lives, and maybe we don't long for this, but some of you, you have suffered. You suffered the loss of someone, You're struggling yourself through sickness that has brought you to tears and hopelessness so many times. You know what I'm talking about. You long for this, don't you? That's when you long for the new creation. But I think God wants all of us to long for the new creation. Not just when things are hard, but always. Because it's so much better than anything here. He doesn't want us to just think about it when we're having a hard time. But to realize this this is our hope. This is where we're going. This is what we were made for. He wants us to see the reality of sin and how much has ruined our world. He wants us to see past our shiny, upper-middle-class lives and grieve that people dishonor him and break this world and hurt each other every day. He wants us to not be satisfied with temporary, worldly things, but to long for eternity where things will last forever where things will be perfect. He wants us to long for this new creation. Why else did he tell us to pray this prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's a prayer, not for things to stay the same, but for things to be transformed radically under God's rule. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But here's the question. Are you ready? Are you ready? Come with me to look at the final verses of the entire book of Isaiah, the final verses. Isaiah 66, the next chapter is Isaiah 66, verse 22. Isaiah 66, verse 22. Let me read this. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. 
God reaffirms his promise here to keep his people safe for eternity. They will be gathered in worship before him. This would be a fitting end to Isaiah, wouldn't it? This picture of just all God's people gathered in worship around him. But there's actually one more verse. I don't know if you noticed, there's, there's one more verse. The final verse in the entire book. How will Isaiah end? Well, let's have a look at this verse. And they shall go out and look at the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. This is how the book ends. This is not a comfortable ending, is it? This is very, very, very uncomfortable. But let me tell you, it's not a mistake that it's here. This is a reminder for all of us who read the prophet Isaiah, back for God's people back then and for us today, that there is a breathtaking, perfect new creation coming, but with that new creation, what is coming? Well, it, it will be the final judgment day, the final judgment day where sinners will suffer a terrible punishment. As we talk about the new creations, you know, I've been talking about how we can't comprehend. I don't, I don't think we're ready for how good it is in one sense. Like, it's so amazing. But on the flip side is this. I don't think we're ready for how terrible judgment will be. How terrible this reality of hell and punishment will be. The image, imagery used here, what is it? It's the aftermath of a war. Imagine dead, dead bodies scattered everywhere, flames burning, worms feasting on flesh. It's a terrible picture. And we're confronted with the truth here. Eternity holds only two options. It's rejoicing in a perfect new creation or suffering under terrible judgment. There's no middle ground here. There's only two options. Rejoicing in the new creation or suffering under terrible judgment. It would be much easier for me not to talk about this. Isaiah, if he wanted to, could have made this book a more feel-good book by ending one verse earlier with just a picture of worship in the new creation. Come on, Isaiah, why don't you do that? But ignorance isn't bliss here. Because this is the reality, whether we hear it or not. This is the reality that all of us in this room need to grapple with. That there is only two eternal destinies. Eternal joy or eternal suffering? And the question to us is, are you ready for eternity? Are you ready for eternity? If God ended the world today, what would your eternal destiny be? If Christ came back today and all things were put to an end, what, where, where would you stand? Friends, remember what matters. What matters is your response to God's word. Remember, the root of sin is the rejection of God's word. This brings judgment. But the flip side is this, Isaiah 66, verse 2. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and those who tremble at my word. There's the word again. God blesses those who are humble, those who come in reverent awe before him. Those who bow down and take in his word and obey and submit, that when he speaks, they listen. The ones that when he calls, they answer. What determines your eternal destiny is your response to God's word. What determines your eternal destiny is your response to God's word. 
I want you to keep that in mind because this is the message that God is giving us here. The book ends like this in Isaiah. Why? Because this is God's final appeal to his people. His final appeal to a needy but stubborn people. He's saying, here I am. Here I am. I'm holding out my hands to you. Guys, I'm offering you salvation. I'm offering you hope. Please listen to my words. Just accept my words and you can have real hope, real salvation. All the sin that you've been struggling with will be done away with. Just come to me. Here I am. If you would accept my words, you will have salvation. That's his promise for his people back then. But that's the same promise that he gives to us today. That promise still stands. Because guess what God's doing today? He's still patiently holding out his hands. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, here I am. Here I am. If you would only come to me and hear my words and accept them, then you can have entry into eternal joy and peace. You can have life. You can have hope. You can have salvation. You can have a sure hope that will never, ever, ever end. I'm offering this to you. Here I am. He, he, he's, he's offering this. He's holding it out to us so much. He, he wants us to have it so much. You know what he did? He came down from heaven into our broken world and became a man to bring us this hope personally. He comes as the man Jesus Christ who is God incarnate. As, you know what scripture says? The word become flesh. And as Christ enters into this world, he brings us a word And these are the first words that he speaks in the book of Mark. Look at this. Mark 1, 15. The time has come, he said. This is Jesus speaking. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. When Jesus comes, you know what he's saying? He's saying, it's time. All this stuff that you're hoping for back, you know, in the prophets, Isaiah, all that, you know, hundreds of years, it's time. The kingdom has come. This is the start of a new world order. This is the start of all the things that we've been talking about. I'm kick-starting it off. All you have to do is, what, repent and believe in the good news. Good news, that's the same word as gospel. And what is the good news that Jesus brings? Well, the good news is that he's come into our broken existence. He's died on the cross as the suffering servant, taking on all of our sins, taking our place so that we could be forgiven. That he hasn't stayed there, that he's defeated death and risen from the grave victorious and that he now has ascended to heaven and reigns with the Father and he now offers eternal life to all who will come to him. That is the good news. Jesus Christ has come into our world and he comes not to just do some little side project by himself, but he comes to hold out his hands to us today and say, here I am. Here I am. I've come to pay for your sins. I've come to win you entry into eternal salvation that will never, ever, ever end. I come to offer you a secure hope and a secure home that will be far better than anything you can ever comprehend. Here I am. Just trust in my words. This is his promise. These are his words. The question is, will you accept them? 
What determines your eternal destiny is your response to God's word. How will you respond to Jesus' word? Friends, everything we do here at CP Church is to this end. Do you realize this? Our mission to make devoted disciples of Jesus for God's glory is all about this, holding out the words of Jesus Christ, the words that save, the words that are the only hope of this broken world, holding them out so that more and more and more people can know this joy, more and more people can enter into this perfect new creation on the final day. Our heart is that the whole world will know that Jesus Christ offers something better, that sin and judgment isn't the only, only option. I want you all to know that sin and judgment isn't the only option, but there's real hope, real salvation available. And I plead with you today, don't be like Isaiah back in Israel's day. When God speaks and graciously holds out his hands to us, don't just slap them away. Don't reject his word. I plead with you, please, because this is eternity we're talking about. My heart's desire is that everybody in this room is ready for eternity. It's also not just people in this room, but all your friends and family as well, that they're ready for eternity. I'm sure that's what you want as well. My desire is that this whole world is ready for eternity. Because this is what matters. In fact, this is all that matters. We're talking about the difference between eternal life and eternal death here. When we consider eternity, friends, it puts everything into perspective, doesn't it? It puts everything into perspective. When we actually see that um, what all of history is heading towards is that we're heading towards a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation. Everything that in this world starts to shrink down, the things that seem so big start to shrink, shrink, you know, almost insignificant when we consider there's eternity waiting. Friends, as we finish this series in Isaiah, let me ask you one last time to do something for me. Let me ask you to lift your eyes. Lift your eyes and look up. Today I'm asking you to lift your eyes and look up and look towards eternity. Towards eternity. And I want you to Behold our God. Behold our God who has graciously, graciously held out salvation for us. Paid for this salvation with his own son, Jesus Christ. So that we can have a hope that actually lasts. To behold a God who is so gracious and so loving and so merciful that he would give this to us people who just reject him over and over again. To behold him but I want you to also behold our God who, in this new creation, he will be right there at the center. And let me finish with this picture from Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me, this is, this is the new creation, okay? Just picture this. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count, countless, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen.
Amen. Let me pray. Father God, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your forgiveness for the times that we haven't longed for your new creation as we should. We are sorry for the ways that we are so short-sighted, especially when things are good. And we pray that you will transform our hearts to see eternity, that we may have a now in our life, that our lives now would be shaped by this eternal truth and that all we do will be transformed for the sake of your glory. Help us not to reject your word, but help us to accept your promises, your good instructions, to trust in what has been done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that we may find real hope, real salvation, real joy, and real security like nothing in this world can ever offer. Father God, help us along, long for eternity, to long for you, to put off the things of this world that are holding us down, distracting us, keeping us away from you. But may we long for the future, which is so much better than we can ever comprehend. We pray all this for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.